The only constant in business is change. Welcome to Trends, Bends, and Opportunities, the show that explores business ups, downs, and possibilities. I'm Pat Lynch, and I'm a retired police supervisor. Now I teach and mentor real estate agents who are looking to stand out above the rest. My partner here is Dr. Lauren Murfield. He's a retired college professor who now works with business leaders, small and large, to do what they never thought possible. Together, we're docking the cop and we're here to help you think bigger and reach higher to deliver disruptive success for today's world. Let's go. And we're back and I'm Pat Lynch and I'm your host and my co-host as always is Dr. Lauren Murfield. Say hello, Doc. Hey, how's everybody doing today? Good to see you. And we're here for Trends, Bends and Opportunities, Exploring Business Ups, downs and possibilities and one of the things we find is the only thing that's constant in business is change and so here we are finding ourselves in the middle of a whole bunch of disruption forces us to kind of think a little more disruptively and uh today we've got a great guest speaker with us i'm gonna let dr uh murfield introduce uh, our good friend rita well let's before we get to rita Let's just do a quick little preview about what we come, got coming up next week. We have Jackie Polito, which is a House of Representatives for the state of Florida. Brian Hanrahan of Aon, uh, talking about risk management. Dr. Harold Chinitsky, which is a sports psychologist, we could all use one of them about now, talking about the championship mindset for business. Then on Thursday, I've used all my persuasion. We've got my wife, Lisa Murfield, who has got an MBA and have been in HR, human resources for 20 some years. She's gonna talk about uh, bringing the, getting the workforce, uh, the employees ready to come back into the workforce uh, as we look at opening up. And then on Friday, Pat, you and I are gonna talk about stuff that we don't hear much, which is the top 10 advantages of this, of this shutdown. There's things that we got to do that we wouldn't have done before. But then looking into the next week, I've got a couple of people that you're really going to want to hear, PhD in public health. And then I've got an FBI agent that scheduled her out of San Francisco talking about mental uh, toughness, especially resilience. So we got, what we have to do is, I work to schedule guests that are as good as the next one that we have. The one that we have today is Rita Lohman, president of Pilot Bank. Uh, to know her is to absolutely respect her and love her. She just does so many things right, as evidenced by just being named chairman of the chairperson of the Outback Bowl coming up for this year. And with that, Pat, let's let's introduce Rita and Preston's here to help her out with some of the details. Rita, what what can you tell us about banking in this new normal? Well, I don't know that there's a new normal, but first of all, thank you so much for having me today. And Preston Scott is our marketing director, and he will be looking a little bit at the future also, since he knows some of the new products and things like that that'll be coming out um, from a baking worldwide, worldwide industry. But let's first of all, talk about what's happened since April the 3rd. April the 3rd, banking as we knew it changed quite a bit with payment protection. And uh, as many of you know, those funds for the second phase have been going on this week. And so when you look at that, and then you also look at the pandemic that's happened, banking has changed over the last six weeks. We're doing much more uh, telebanking. We're doing much more 
as um, working remotely as many other people are. And the, that last decade alone in banking has turned around to really utilize technology. And that's what we're going to see going forward. However, we will share with you that people enjoy seeing people. That's what community banking is all about. It is people being able to go into a banking center, being able to have that interaction, and then also picking up the phone and calling someone and being able to know that that person's going to answer. I will tell you, um, one of the biggest things that people will always say when I answer my phone is, oh, I never expected you to answer. And <laughs> why not? But I understand where they're coming from with that. It's very important to have that client contact and then to listen to our clients. The products and solutions that we have, every bank's going to have those. Uh, but what they, every bank does not have, they do not have the same people. And I say to be able to be the bank of choice, you always need to be the associate. The associates want to be working with the employer of choice. And so it's our associates that do make us the bank of choice. But what are we seeing in the future? It's not science fiction, but it is a different way of banking. And you're going to be able, as some banks have already started introducing, you know, the, the thumbprint, the eye identifier, the voice identifier, those are going to be some of the ways that we're going to be able to really change banking and the fact that we're going to be able to have algorithms that are going to know, right now you think that, wow, I'm on Facebook and all of a sudden this pops up and I had just mentioned it to, my my husband or my spouse or my friend and you know banking is going to be uh, the same way they they have algorithms out that'll be able to help you know that you're saving for whether it be that college fund that new business or whatever so a lot of different things along those lines and then the other disruptor that we see right now which is a fairly a new breed but it's called neobanks and of course these are technology companies that are going into the banking environment and the rules and regulations are a little bit different for this group, but yet they really have created some challenges in the fact that everything's online. And so some people enjoy that, some people don't. We used to think that millennials really never wanted to go into a bank. We have found that that's changed and I have one sitting right here with me and um, he'll tell you that the way that he does business, um, you know, it's not really that different from the way that I do business. But again, um, the other thing with this new technology, it com comes criminal exploitation, and you have to be very careful about that too, and the fraud side of it. So again, many people say, uh, well, we're not gonna see a lot of brick and mortar. It's not gonna be the same number, but you're still going to see some physical buildings over the course of the next five years, because again, people still do enjoy going in. We'll talk in just a minute about the way some things are going to change over the next 90 days, because of the past 60 days. But I'll let you ask me any questions first before I get into that. So I, we were talking before we got on uh, um, the air today. Uh, my brother works for a big bank up in the uh, uh, the Midwest. And, you know, they still see a lot of people, probably just like you, that, that you know, they don't have a debit card. They don't, they want to go in and see their personal banker and sit down and have them open up new accounts and, and uh, you know, change out of 500 or, you know, put, put money away or whatever. And they're, you know, they're, they're standing in lines to, to be able to accomplish some of that. And, and now I, I assume most of the branches are kind of closed to walk-in traffic, at least for temporarily, and we might be opening back up soon. 
Right. Well, temporarily, we are closed at most locations for walk-in. You're doing much more through the drive-through and much more through online banking and those types of things. Um, what we will see when this um, pandemic is starting to um, allow us to go back into businesses and banking centers, we'll still see things like the six-foot distancing rule and those types of things um, have all the the little kinks been worked out? Absolutely not. But the American Bankers Association has sent out a template to help banks be able to open up effectively and safely. And I think that's the main thing is opening safely. And uh, what you know we're trying to do is say, what makes most sense for us? Is that to truly just open those banks or do like we've been doing and having appointments or having people utilize the drive-through and say, I'd like to come into my safe deposit box today uh, at two o'clock, is that okay? So again, those those are the things that we'll be working out as we go forward. The other thing is we wanna protect our own associates. It's very important. So you'll see some things that you've not necessarily seen, like the shields that you see in public. You're gonna be seeing those in most of your banking centers going forward. And you're gonna see, um, even like today, um, our associates, when they're doing large deposits, uh, which we get through the, the night drop, they're actually using gloves for that because again, you know, we're trying to make sure we quarantine any money that may have had any kind of exposure to it. And that's important as we go forward. So yes, it's gonna be some differences as we continue to open these banking centers throughout the United States. And I sit on the board of directors for the American Bankers Association. So um, again, we've been working very closely with the 5,000 plus banks to what, what makes sense for you. What makes sense for Tampa might not make sense for uh, Preston's hometown in Iowa, because again, they're different sizes and what people are expecting or doing could be a little bit different as we continue to go forward. Let me just play off of that a little bit. And, and I heard a friend saying that they got tip money and they were sanitizing each dollar bill. How does, is it that, um, that meticulous that the bank has got to go through as any check or anything else that they'll take? going forward that they're gonna to have to sanitize or? What we've been advised to do and what we've been doing is a large box of dollars come in. We do quarantine that for 24 hours and then we will take that out of quarantine and um, you know redistribute that. But we are quarantining large sums that come into our particular bank. I can't say what's being done uh, nationwide, but that's what's been recommended nationwide is to do a 24 hour quarantine. You know, Doc, you know, I'm an idea guy and uh, I just had the idea, maybe we should get into the money laundering business because clean money would obviously be really essential at a time like this. <laughs> that is a good play on words, okay. <laughs> Pat's, Pat's idea of money laundering involves is a front load washing machine though. <laughs> <laughs> so all of a sudden, that's what you're gonna see in the banks. Um, back in the old days, y'all probably know that we used to, people would wash money, wash checks and come in and you know they would have redone those. Of course, checks have changed now. That tells you how old I am to, to know about um, checks being washed. But it was always so funny when you would see a check and some of them were so easy to identify, but some of them did a pretty good job. It, it's pretty sad. I, I my, In my former life as a police officer, I've come across many a people with printers in their trunks with yep. the ability to print uh, checks and and be all over town printing checks with different businesses on them and 
not worth the paper they're printed on has a different meaning when you deal in that world. Like Ooh, it does. Like you. Well, Preston and I uh, have seen a lot of that. Preston, um, you know, has done operations and fraud and all those things. But what did you see recently? So recently, a microwave their money and <laughs> and that doesn't work. No, it actually will destroy the bill. So we don't recommend that either. Someone put that out there. So. <laughs> It's no microwaving of the money. In fact, we had a doctor on, uh, and he said, don't microwave your mask because you could start a fire. And uh, right. so uh, we're not microwaving masks or money. And so if you're worried about your money being diseased, drop it off at my house. Doc and I will will properly wash it. Just look for my uh, clothesline out back, and we'll have it all hanging on a clothesline. Oh, yeah, right. Just, just a small service fee, right? Yeah. Well, Rita, one of the things we were talking about is, you know, especially with a community bank is that there is a, a it's a, it's a relationship business. And I know like at Center Club, we have several members who work at various banks and, and their main job is relationships and, and um, kind of hard to have face-to-face, heart-to-heart relationships when we can't be face-to-face um what what's the positive we're going to take away from this for relationship building do you think well and that's a really good question there are a few things though you know face to face is it can now be like we're doing through um zoom or whatever but it's also just picking up the phone or sending a note to your your clients letting them know um, the first week this happened we sent out Oh, probably about 500 handwritten notes to, to clients, just letting them know, thank you so much for banking with us and we're still here for you. Now, um, the other thing with community banking is that um, you know, we know you and we, can, we will be more than glad to set an appointment, open that door, uh, put that six foot distance between you and I. If you need us, we are there to be able to help you along those lines. And then um, you know, people just want to know that you care. And a lot of times, like the PPP, and I know y'all had someone on last week or either earlier this week talking about the Paycheck Protection Program. Even with that, we have found that so many of our new clients um, were not able to get help from others. And so we've been able to say, okay, community banking, this is what it's about. We know you, we want to be able to help you. And we think that's really important. Now, the old days of where it was a handshake, that doesn't happen anymore. And I'm gonna be quite honest. Uh, you know, I know Lauren extremely well, but I'm still going to need to ask him for a few things when we do that, that next loan. Um, and I'm assuming if he allows me to do a loan for him. But anyway, uh, going back to that. So, you know, you do still have to have information and know the person um, because of the Patriot Act and things like that. But it still comes down to me face-to-face, -face, knowing you, trusting you. And when somebody tells me, oh, I know Preston really well, my question back to them is, do you know Preston well enough that he's going to invite you to his home or you're going to invite him to your home for dinner? If the answer is yes, and I've been saying this for the 40 years of my career, if the answer is yes, then yes, you know him well. But if it's because Preston comes in every day and once a week he's bringing you cookies, because he likes you as his banker, then no, that's not knowing him. And so it's how you really classify that knowing the client. Well, that's one of those things social media does for us, right? My, my son has 900 friends on Facebook, 
but he doesn't know any of them's last name, where they live, who their parents are, or anything like that. So exactly, that's funny you said that. I had uh, someone that was bragging on Facebook that I now have five thousand friends and I can't accept any more friends. Really? I mean, you know, that's like in banking. You know, it, for me, it's not the volume of clients that you have, but it's the quality of those clients and how you're able to help them and how they really appreciate having that personal relationship. Well, Preston, so a young guy. Oh, excuse me, Lauren. Um, I was just going to share that, that, you know, being a young guy here, um, banking for the millennials like my sons and um, Preston's age, what do you look for in a banker? Well, I think basically uh, the approach is different and statistically more and more people are more comfortable opening their accounts, for example, online. And so therefore as a business, any business really, you need to be able to have your um, website and those type of things up and running, easy to access and user friendly. Mm -hmm. And more and more banks are going towards that um, route of opening new accounts, gaining new business. Um, obviously, you know, digital, the digital world is not something new to banking, um, but definitely this COVID-19 pandemic has um, made us shift our focus on how, how important it is and also consider things we may not have considered before. And if I can share a few of those things. Um, some of those things are, for example, bandwidth. Mm -hmm. As soon as we had all of our associates, for example, have to, not all of them, but a, a lot of associates had to start working remotely. We had to increase our bandwidth within our system. That was something that we were, pre we were prepared for, but we were not expecting to do that quickly. So we had to make sure that we had a vendor that could um, help us out with that. Um, also, in regards to, I think we mentioned earlier in our conversation about internet um, vendors in general, it's good to have a backup just in case everything goes down. So that's something that, you know, in our business continuity plan, we have a plan for that, but it's something that we um, thankfully had not had to rely on. Mm -hmm. However, it is something that we have to be prepared for. We also have to be prepared for our customers to be able to access um, everything digitally. Not everyone has access as we learned through our school systems, shifting to remote um, work that not everyone has access to website, uh, I'm sorry, Wi-Fi or online banking, excuse me, online access. Mm -hmm. So therefore we've had to, um, you know, take that into consideration when making sure we're able to communicate with our customers. Um, so the approach to my, I guess my generation or most people in general to banking is more digital, but the thing that really captures us is really no different than writing a handwritten note and getting it in the mail. It's that personalization that makes you feel like you're special and valued. And that is what you're looking for digitally. Mm -hmm. So as we know, you know, you mentioned earlier, Rita, about Amazon mm -hmm. and Apple, you know, they're analyzing our behavior in ways that we can't even comprehend with all these algorithms and, and machine learning. And you know, we are the adults that are dealing with this, but you gotta can also consider the younger kids, um, I would say 10 years old or younger, their whole life is gonna be um, manipulated really by um, AI. So those type of things are things that businesses are starting to integrate more and more into every industry, especially banking, to make it personalized so that it's easy for us, we feel like we're special, and we know that you're gonna take care of us if we have a problem. So those are some of the things I look for. And also, like I just mentioned at the beginning, you know, really the first place I look 
if I want to, um, if I'm interested in a new business or a new, new uh, a store or anything that I want to shop at or, or participate in as a customer, I look online or I'll ask Google or Siri or Alexa <laughs> or Cortana. So those are the things that we use more often to gain our information. Your friends list is awful short. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so funny. He just mentioned one. I guess I'm too old. I don't know what the last one is. Cortana. Yeah, I've never heard that one. That's all. That's Microsoft, the big daddy of them all. But it's not oh. exactly that popular. If I can't use uh, Alexa, I pretty much I'm not using anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, really, I, I'm really impressed that you're doing what I've written about in a book I put out last year. It's really helping to identify the pain. And that's really where relationships come in that we have seen during the shutdown is, are we looking out for others? Are we anticipating their pain? Are we, are we uh, reaching out to see in a compassionate way, how can we help alleviate that? And that's what I see as a community bank is that you're really looking to say, what pain can we expect that you'll have? How can we help alleviate that pain either beforehand or afterwards? And that's, right. I, so that's what I think of, and that's what I think of with everything that I know about you. That's where it works, and that's what makes it special as opposed to the big, unfeeling, um, cold technology, if you will. That, well, um, I, I agree with that. You know, as past chair of the Florida Bankers Association, I've always said that we need banks of all sizes because we don't want... Um, you know, a large company like Caterpillar to go to the Bank of China. Um, so we need all sizes. However, people that really are community oriented, that have small businesses or entrepreneurs, attorneys, uh, uh, you know, doctors, all of those, they really look for that relationship, just like the relationship they give back to their clients, Lauren. And so you're absolutely right in the fact that it's a different type of business. Now, what is bothersome to me and and um, both of you know this is over the course of the last three years we've lost 15 banks in the Tampa Bay community alone and when I say lost them they merged they became um, you know with someone else or whatever and now we have truly four to five community banks in all of Tampa Bay region so um, my goal as we continue and it'll take a little while now with this pandemic but when I was in um, Washington and in Tallahassee all the time, I always was a proponent for being able to have de novo banks, new banks starting up that could help small communities, um, companies, you know, that, that don't necessarily get the same help. And I, without saying the name, I will share with you, um, two of my friends from larger banks actually called me and said, would you help our clients? I have one had two clients, the other one had one client because they weren't able to get those particular clients helped. And uh, for the PPP, I said, absolutely, we'll be more than glad to. So everybody realizes their size and deal and what they can do. And that's the other thing I like about our community. Probably 60% of all the, the bankers in um, Tampa Bay have either been on one of my teams, I've been on one of their teams, or we've worked together in the past. So we can do that, we can pick up and call and ask others to help you know help us out or help their clients out. I think that's a great point because too many times people think there should be a one size fits all. No. And it's really not. It's it's really understanding your niche. And that's where people have understood that and stay in their lane, so to speak, and really work with their clients 
that's where they're the most successful. Well, there's, been, there's been a fear for a long time, you know, that Walmart would destroy all the small businesses and, and then Amazon came in and dwarfed them and, and uh, at least on certain levels, but that's still, there's still plenty of mom and pop businesses out there. And then mm -hmm. the banking's the same way, the, the community bank versus the super huge mega bank that's a little less personal, not a little, a lot less personal, because the odds of them knowing who you are at the mega bank when you walk in there, and I'm guessing if uh, if Preston worked at, at one of those mega banks, his customers probably not bringing him chocolate chip cookies like we heard about. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's uh, really funny because he did. He's like me. We both have worked at the large banks, and uh, we've elected to be here with a smaller community bank. But one of the things that I love, and there's a book called Raving Fans. It's a very simplistic book, but as uh, those of you that have read it know, it's says do what you do and do it the best that you possibly can but you can't basically be everything to everybody and that's so true so what we try to share with our associates is that we want to be that uh, premier community bank that people enjoy coming in and are going to refer to I just had last night at nine o'clock somebody sent over and said oh our board just voted and you're now going to be our bank and this was um, you know someone that I've been working on quite some time and those are the rewards that you like to see. It may not be tomorrow, but you're able to meet a need and be able to be that personable that you can go in. You're not going to get, and, and I, you know, I love all of the leadership of all of the larger banks, but you're not going to get the president of a large bank, you know, sitting down with you talking one-on-one -on -one, and we don't expect him to because his, his ability to do things is much different because he's working with huge corporations where with us, it's all about our community. And I wanna to continue to, to be a part of that. That's why we believe in giving back to the community. And you'll see both Preston, myself, all of us here in the bank, so active on different things within the community. Well, we see Pilot Bank a lot. Pilot's very active in our community. I think that that makes a big difference. It's a whole lot easier to support uh, a business that makes it, their presence known. And, uh, and it's not always about um, being on the, on the front end uh, it's it's more than just cutting a check. It's actually being involved, and I know we appreciate that. Um, the the bank's a big supporter of stuff at the center club, and um, and and obviously members, and we appreciate that too. What other challenges have you have you all been dealing with um, as we've been in this kind of stay at home mode, send everybody home mode? Right. Well, there's a few challenges. First of all, as you know, daycare has been a, an opportunity for those, pa those parents that actually work and do not have daycare right now. So we've been able to be flexible in the fact that even in our banking centers, we have been able to swap out associates so that an associate that may normally be in a banking center is working remotely and doing other initiatives and someone that's been working in the back room and does not have the children able to work in the banking center. So we've tried to be flexible along those lines to be able to allow you, of course, um, right now there's, you know, quite a bit in place to help that, but still we understand and we're sensitive and we want to be able to maintain the 64 associates that we have, but we also understand that you have commitments at home and we're working through that. The other is, and we talked about this before we started, is your mental health. Mental health is so important right now and we just sent out this morning a, an update on mental health and being able to, even if it's just get outside and walk around the block, 
do, do things that are going to help clear your mind, help you realize that there is life outside of the four walls that you're either working in or living in and being able to be there for you. We've given um, the numbers that they can call. We have Teladoc so that you can, you know, if you need to talk to someone, you're able to do that. So we've tried to look through and absolutely help all of our associates in any way that we need to. We, to give you an example, we had an associate that came in to see me the last, latter part of last week and actually was very honest in saying, I need a few days off just because I've been working so much lately. And I understand that. That is perfectly okay. I, you know, I'm not judgmental along those lines. It's like, if you need it, you're being honest with me. But I will tell you too, those same associates that are honest along those lines, they give you 24 seven and they're just, we're just so fortunate to have great associates here at the bank. I said that same thing to my boss, I mean, wife, and she said, get back to work. <laughs> Uh, so, um, I, maybe, I, maybe if you got a spot for me, uh, um, you might be a little more sympathetic towards my needs. We've already heard he's got it on his resume already that he launders money. So maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I, I really didn't hear that because otherwise I'm going to have to write it up. <laughs> Please write him up, write him up. <laughs> I, I know we don't want to go down the cryptocurrency road too much because that could be that could be a whole episode or whatever. What what future does cryptocurrency play in the banking system? Do you think it'll ever make it to mainstream, or will our current currency become cryptocurrency? That was that's a question that's coming in off Facebook right now. Yeah. So I I wanted you know, to at I, least touch on it. Right. Um. I as I had shared with you guys earlier, I am not a cryptocurrency uh, expert by any means, and you know that is not something that we have gone down. I uh, do I think it'll continue it'll probably have yes yeah, some continuation but I'm still the one that enjoys that hard green cold cash that you bring in and that's really important the area I thought you may be going down when you were talking about that is another type of green and that uh, being well, you know the, what are you doing with um, the, the money that's coming in from your health as it relates to marijuana and as y'all know we still have laws that uh, have not been helping us in the banking industry to really guide us along those lines. So that's been a challenge for us. When you ask what's been a challenge, it's how do you truly bank those clients? And you know, those that are saying within the, the law that they've given us parameters around, we still do quite a bit of due diligence. However, those uh, that are selling it in a different form and we can't do anything, I really worry about that industry. That's why you know, we've been trying to um, share with DC we need true guidance and we need true regulation to be able to bank because we want everybody to be safe. And it's not safe right now to, to be able to not bank the industry that's bringing in so much cash and not being able to account for it. Yeah, it really forces them off the books and, and into those. Now that talks into the whole money laundering, a different money laundering. And that's right. the only way they have to legitimately funnel their money and it's 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 a shame we do have we do have a lot of work to do with that what about um what about green when it comes to um environmental type what you know is there is there anything that's on the horizon that might make us go wow i never thought the banks would be doing something like that or right well some of your larger banks are doing going what they can consider green um and you know that's a very very expensive um way to go I haven't heard a whole lot about that. Have you in any of your mar uh, marketing meetings? No. Yeah. I, 
So, you know, again, we, we try to be as efficient and effective and, and cost-effective for our shareholders as we possibly can, but we have not gone totally green with any of our locations. Well, Rita, I'm, I'm conscious that it wasn't that many years ago when the whole online banking come into play. Right. They said, you're not going to see any local banks anymore. You're not going to see the, the banks on the corners or anything. What happened? Why, why do we still have them? I'm assuming you're going to go back to that personal touch of the community bank. Mm -hmm. Is that what it is? Well, that's a really good question because uh, back in the late um, 90s, it was probably, I had the pleasure of actually managing the acquisition when uh, Nations Bank bought Barnett and we became Bank of America um, because that took place at the same time. And at that point, we closed in one day 220 plus banking centers, which had never done, been done in the history of the United States. And, you know, Ken Lewis's big deal at that point, which is, um, you know, I, this is nothing that I'm saying out of turn, it's in my book. Um, and I will plug my book, From the Farm to the Boardroom. But anyway, <laughs> um, I, I oh, share the a copy. That. Uh, he's looking for it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but what I do, um, what I shared back then is that, um, you know, we had said in the late 90s, Ken had said, you know, try to close banking centers. We, we, we really don't want that much brick and mortar. And what was it? Four years later, um, we, uh, many of us had gone on to other careers after 20 years, all of us having a 20 years in banking there. Um, he decided that brick and mortar was the way to go. And why is that? You see Chase on every corner now. And I believe it's because, again, people want to do business with people. And even though they have a lot of technology in those banking centers, and, um, and a lot of it is not people to people, in community banks, you're going to see it's people to people. When we were um, growing another bank that Preston and I was at, and it, we grew it to about 1.7 billion, it was called C1, we put in technology saying, okay, this was in Coral Gables. We're gonna have this great technology and people are gonna to wanna to come in and utilize it. What did they do? They came in and sat at the desk and wanted the person. They didn't want the quickness of the technology. They still wanted to deal with the people. And I think that's what community banking is about. Now, are we gonna have some new technology and some things along those lines? Yes, we will. But again, it's about somebody being able to call up Rita or Preston or you know any of our associates and saying, hey, this is what I need. What can you do to help me? Well, Rita, just, just to give you a little bit of uh, uh, maybe a revealing about my age, I remember going into and getting a, a, a bank account at a bank in South Dakota, and they had just converted over, so they, for the first time in history, they had account numbers. Oh, well, okay. So I'll take you back too, because again, I started, you know, when I was five years old, like you did, Lauren, yep. banking. And um, we used to close at two o'clock and you would close at two, you stayed around until the bank was balanced and then you would go home. Well, then we started closing at two and opening back up at three. Um, and again, it was for balancing, but you would close out the end of the day and then, you know, be there from three until five. So a lot has changed. I remember um, I was in marketing. That was my first job in banking. And my job was to show you how to use this crazy machine that had just been put into town and it was called an ATM. And um, this was in like 73-ish, 1973, 74. And I remember people, oh, no, no, I'm not putting my, no, I'm not getting my money out of that ATM. And now 
we couldn't live without debit cards and ATMs. <laughs> I'm surprised you can talk positively about ATMs because I know you've all had to replace a few of yours, unfortunately, oh, recently. Yes, we did. That uh, was but they really, got the they, guys. They did. They got. They did. They were able to find them. But yeah, that was not the call that I expected that morning, bright and early. And um, but you know what? My, we were thankful. We had great ATMs. No money was taken from us, and no one was hurt. And that was the important part. That that's awesome. Well, and I got to ask you one last question. I know we're about you. You've got a hard stop, and we're about out of time. Do they still have Christmas club accounts? No, uh, we don't. Now that you know them, uh, in the past, it's really funny because I remember Christmas club accounts vividly. But we do have the ability for you to save for certain goals, and we will help you with that. Yeah. And so, um, Preston and I, when we first came in. We reworked all of the product line here. And so we try to help you to be able to save for those goals that you have. Christmas club accounts were really popular. When you got that last $5 put in by the bank or that last $10, whoo, you thought you had made it then. <laughs> I, I know I'm dating myself when I talk about that. It's just that I remember those. I remember going down and putting my money in, making sure I'd have my money for Christmas. So, uh, well, that's, that's awesome. This has been great. Um, Rita, we appreciate you coming on, telling us uh, about uh, some of the uh, bends and opportunities and, and the trends that, uh, that are facing banking, especially community banking. We appreciate all the hard work you do representing uh, our community um, and banking in general on all of the uh, boards that you're on. And of course, the Outback Bowl, can't wait for that. Um, in fact, I might have Outback for dinner just to celebrate. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Doc, well, any last thoughts? Well, I, I did want to share um, with one of my favorite quotes. It's, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, and become more, you are a leader. And I believe in the banking industry, we are leaders for our community, and we need to help our clients be able to dream and see that what that future can really have for them. Well, That's thank awesome. you for that, Rita. I'm, and I want to give a special shout out because as, I don't know how many people know, but I write and direct the uh, and act in the Center Club's Mystery Theater dinner that's yeah. coming up uh, the end of September. Last year, Pilot Bank was one of the critical sponsors and it was just great fun to have Rita in the center of the center of the theater and enjoy it and uh, watch Pat reach and his acting abilities to play a donut-loving cop. So thank yes. you for your involvement. Thank you for everything you do. But another, another thing, thank you for the community banking, for keeping that alive, because it would be so easy for us to become that cyborg and, and get off into technology that's, that doesn't have that compassion, that doesn't have that personal touch. So I want to thank you for that. But thank you for, as a person. Thank you for Preston for being on here and everything you do. Definitely. Thank you. Thanks, we guys. appreciate it. See y'all later. Thank Bye you. Now. Thank you. Bye-bye.